Well, good evening. My name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is fitting that on this fifth anniversary of Salem Prez that we are looking at this passage about shepherds. Because in the uh, ancient world, shepherds were, were known to be a symbol of authority. So in the um, Egyptian period, the, a lot of their gods were called shepherds. Uh, the Mesopotamians, their kings were often called shepherds. The Greek military leaders, generals were called shepherds. So the uh, audience that Jesus was speaking to would have known that when he uses this parable of a shepherd, that this is talking about leaders. And uh, authority can go very wrong in a church, as I think we all know. Um, that spiritual authority can be a very toxic thing. And, um, you know, to some extent, probably all of us have been in churches or known about churches where there's uh, some level of toxicity in the, the leadership, where uh, spiritual authority can become coercive, self-seeking, manipulative, deceptive, um, and we don't want to be that way. So I think it's a good thing on the fifth anniversary just to always reassess where we are in our leadership, um, the authority that we hold as spiritual leaders, and how we're using that authority. And Mark Driscoll was the pastor of this massive church in Seattle. Some of you know him. Um, Some of you probably used to love his sermons. Maybe you still do love his sermons. Um, He tried to rewrite the bylaws of his church, the Marshall Church in Seattle, and uh, he rewrote them so as to give himself way more power, to the point where I've heard almost entirely the power in decision-making. And so two elders confronted Mark Driscoll, and he fired them, which really you can't do to an elder. And not only did he fire them, he told the whole church to shun them, And then a member of the church came to him and questioned the firing of those elders. And Driscoll viciously attacked this member. And the member said he was was vile, he was vulgar, he threatened me with obscenities. He said that he would destroy me. He said he would destroy my career. And uh, some of you know that Driscoll has now moved to Phoenix and is now starting a new church there. And that is an extreme example, but it's real and... Some of you know this, and uh, I think, although that is extreme, it does happen uh, to to greater or lesser extents in all churches, and I'm I'm sure that that is true here as well. But I want to say, uh, again, on this fifth anniversary, that we do do not want to have that kind of authority here. Um, This this passage is about two different kinds of authority. That's why Jesus tells this. Uh, In John 9, uh, we see one kind of authority, and Jesus is saying, I want to be a different kind of authority, and I want my shepherds to be a different kind of authority. In the ancient world, some shepherds would drive the sheep from behind. And I hear that even today in Australia, this is the way that the the shepherds do this. They drive from behind with a switch. So they go behind the sheep and they hit them with a switch and they move them forward. And in Ezekiel's day, uh, God said to the prophet Ezekiel that with force and harshness, the shepherds rule the sheep. And so this is what he's talking about, this kind of um, driving with a whip from behind and, and like hitting the sheep on the back and, and moving them forward in that way. Um, there was another kind of shepherd that led the sheep from in front and called them by their names, actually. They called the sheep by name, and there was no coercion with those shepherds. And I think that what Jesus is doing is he's pitting these two kinds of authority against one another, On the one hand, the kind that is toxic and driving 
and manipulative and, and semi-violent, at least verbally violent. And then the other kind that is, is very healing is the opposite of that, a healing authority. And I think we can assume that in the world we're mostly going to experience the first kind. But that Jesus came to bring a community where we experience the second kind of authority. So if you're in a position of authority, and it doesn't have to be a church position, and I guess I would say everyone is, to some extent, in a position of authority, even if you don't think you are, God has put you in charge of something. Be thinking about the way that you wield that authority, whether it's healing or whether it's toxic. So first, the toxic authority. And the whole parable says that God is a shepherd, which implies that we are sheep. And sheep are very stupid animals. There was an article from redorbit.com, July 8, 2005. And the title of the article is Hundreds of Turkish Sheep Follow Leader Off Cliff. And it said that 1,500 sheep followed their leader, the sheep, the leader, not, not a human, but the sheep that was in front, off of a 50-foot cliff in eastern Turkey. 400 of them, the first 400, plunged to their death while the shepherds were eating breakfast in a nearby village. So that's what a sheep is like. Um, if you don't know much about sheep, uh, they have their faces in the grass most of the time. They're munching for hours. They follow each other mindlessly, obviously. They're fairly helpless against predators. And you might think you're a tiger or a lion, but the Bible dozens of times calls all of us sheep. So the, the metaphor itself is humbling and slightly insulting. But one thing about a sheep is that a sheep needs authority, absolutely needs authority, that a sheep um, cannot protect themselves. And so it's not really a question of, of whether you have an authority over you. you know, some of us like to think that we have no authority, uh, that we're anti-authoritarian, so we have no authority over us. The question is not whether you have an authority, it's what kind of authority you have over you. And in John 9, like I said, Jesus uh, has just healed this man, this, this poor blind man. He's just been healed, and now the religious authorities come after him. And they're furious with him. And the reason that they're mad is because they feel like Jesus has won up them. And he's done this healing, and they weren't part of it, and they're losing their power to Jesus. And so they're furious. Instead of celebrating the healing of this blind man, who is, who is you know, absolutely the essence of a, of, a, of a weak and helpless sheep, the shepherds, instead of celebrating that, they berate him. And in John 9, 34, they, they say to him, You were born in utter sin. And not only that, they shun him. They cast him out of the synagogue. And that's, uh, that is the reason Jesus then tells this story. Um, and to contrast that kind of self-seeking, toxic authority with his kind of authority. But somewhere along the line, these leaders, these religious leaders, again, as happens today, they, they kind of shifted from caring about sheep into seeking their own interests and benefiting from the sheep. Which is why Jesus compares them to thieves and robbers in verse 1. A thief and a robber. Um, Not faithful to their sheep at all costs. Not not sacrificing or disadvantaging themselves for the advantage of the sheep. Um, That's what the good shepherd does. He lays down his life. But these shepherds, they are hired hands, is what he calls them. In other words, they're benefiting from the sheep. Um, They're not... um, risking their lives for the sheep it says that in verse 12 they leave the sheep and they flee when the wolf is coming so it's entirely mercenary their motives are mercenary they're there to to prosper on the backs of the sheep and again ezekiel going back to ezekiel 34 
which I quoted earlier, uh, Ezekiel said, uh, God says through Ezekiel, should not shepherds feed the sheep? Instead, you eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. And so one aspect of toxic authority is that the authority um, would benefit um, from those who he or she is supposed to be watching over and caring for. That there's a way that, that, that they are like thieves and robbers or hired hands, hirelings, that uh, an authority can simply want to benefit um, from the people who are under the authority's care to make a name for themselves the way the Pharisees clearly did. They, they loved their power. Uh, they did not want to see it threatened. And so they were using all the people um, who had probably elected them as elders, who had voted on them and, and called them to be elders. And they were using that power uh, to one-up other people and to benefit themselves. And um, I, w- I would say, as a, as a pastor um, who has you know, been serving for over 10 years, it's really hard to resist this. You don't really see it coming. Um, it was never anything I planned to be like or to want to be like. I, I didn't go into ministry in any way for this, but it's so easy. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be a pastor. It can be in anyone in any kind of position of authority. It's so easy to, um, to use, you know, Salem Prez in my case, as kind of a commodity or this thing that's out there, this kind of uh, fact of Salem Prez. And so somebody would ask me, how is Salem doing or how is your church doing? And I would say, well, we're up to 200 now and we have 10 small groups or something like that. And a budget of like, you know, 250,000 or just the numbers. Pastors will talk like that. And um, just using metrics to compare and contrast and using analytics and data to make decisions. And it really it kind of objectifies, you know, that word you objectify a woman. You can also objectify a church or a or a small group, or any, any, anything that you are in authority over. You can objectify these things. And the worst part of all that is when the authority won't admit that that's happening. That's why I feel I need to say that. That's why it's so important we talk about this, because the worst thing is to hide this uh, under cover of darkness and to be clearly self-seeking but pretending to be innocent. It's, it's really hard to see it, actually, if you're in that position of authority. And Jesus says in verse 1 that one of the marks of a toxic authority is this kind of uh, underhanded or roundabout way of not entering by the door in a straightforward way, not coming in the front door, but climbing in kind of through the back door or something that's backhanded, that's not straightforward, and, and therefore it's not self-critical. You know, one thing we say about the... Uh, the leaders uh, in our churches, we need to be the chief repenters. That someone who has authority means that they, they are the most self-aware. They are the most self-critical. They're always examining their motives. And this is not always true with spiritual authorities. The Religious News Services published an article on Stephen Furtick. And he is the pastor of Elevation Church in Charlotte. And they've, they've started a campus in Winston. And so I say this with some trepidation, but nevertheless, I'm going to say it, that uh, it was discovered that he had bought a $1.7 million house in Charlotte, which, you know, fair enough, he he bought a big house. But the Charlotte Observer wanted to ask some questions about that, Uh, understandably. That's a big deal for a pastor to to buy a $1.7 million house. And uh, he, he shut the questions down. He would not give an interview. Instead, he, uh, he went up to the pulpit and he defended his, 
his home, and he said, quote, it was a gift from God, uh, quote, it was not that great of a house, and then, quote, it was not even really that big. And this is, this is a man who autographs his people's Bibles, and they, their children's ministry have coloring books with him in it, and the children color him. And um, from someone that I've heard worked with him, you don't address him until he addresses you. And when he comes into the room, you stand in his presence. And yet, all that, he's, but he's not going to answer any questions about what's going on there. And, you know, I, I criticize Futrick and, and Driscoll. It's very easy to do that. They're celebrity pastors. Certainly, they did not start into ministry with any of those motives. Um, I'm sure that they were... Uh, I mean, they're good people in the sense that any sinful person could be a good person. Uh, but the, clearly, just the authority has such a power to corrupt. And especially when you lose accountability, as I think both of them did. Um, so it's easy to rail against them, but just remember that we all have some charge over some part of God's creation, some person or maybe an animal, um, anything where you're the authority and it is a temptation constantly to, to use that thing you're in authority over as something for yourself, a thief and a robber, in a poisonous way. And then not only to use it, but then to cover up the fact that you're doing that. And so that's the first thing Jesus points out, is the danger of toxic authority. A thief and a robber. And then he contrasts that with the way that his authority, he came to bring on earth a different kind of authority. And again, I would just say to you that in the empire, as I often call it, um, this is always the, the, the toxic authority is going to be the way that it goes. It's just always going to go that way in the empire. But Jesus came in to bring a kingdom that was different, where, where, where power and authority were wielded in a different way. As he says in verse 3, the sheep hear his voice, that is the voice of a true authority, and he calls his own sheep by name. George Adam Smith was a Scottish Old Testament scholar who made uh, four visits to the Holy Land, to Palestine between 1880 and 1904. And he wanted to figure out a lot of what the imagery of the Bible was by going there and actually seeing firsthand what it was like. This is a time period where nobody was doing this kind of thing. So he wrote this very famous book about it, about the Holy Land. And this is one of the things he mentions that one day he saw this amazing sight. He said he and his companions were resting beside a well. And three to four shepherds came down with their flocks from the hills by this well. And he says the flocks mixed with each other. So the sheep are now mingling together. And we wondered how these shepherds would ever get out their own sheep. How would they even know who their sheep were? But after a little bit of uh, playing and watering and feeding were over, the shepherds simply went up different sides of the valley into the hills and each called out his own peculiar call and the sheep of each shepherd drew out of the crowd to their own shepherd now if you have a dog then you know you have that special call that name that they respond to if they can hear which ours can't if you have a cat it doesn't it doesn't work but with a dog or a sheep apparently the tone of voice something about the name and uh that particular um, animal will come to you. I had an uncle who called fish. Uh, he would call his pond of goldfish and they would come up and they would be there ready for him to feed them. Um, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. 
Again, he's leading from in front and he's calling them by name. So it's not coercive. It's not manipulative. Um, it's, it's respecting the freedom of the people that he's an authority over. And it's an authority of knowing and intimacy, of knowing them, knowing them well. A friend of mine is doing the student teaching right now with uh, an incredible English teacher that I've heard a lot about. The supervisor is this incredible teacher at Reynolds, and I've heard about her for years. And I asked my friend who was working with her, what is her secret? You know, what is the secret sauce for Heather Wiley is her name? What makes her so great as a teacher? And he started talking about how much she loves literature and how creatively she shares that passion. And, and I said, no, 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 I don't want to hear about that. I, I, I've taught. I know about that part. What I want to know is how does she control the students? Because that was a part I could never figure out is, is the discipline. How, how do you keep the classroom under control? If I could ever do that, I feel like I could do the teaching okay. But how do you do that? And he said, well, I mean... She laughs a lot with them. She looks them in the eye. She treats them each as a human being. I guess she just knows them well. That was the conclusion. I guess she just knows them well. And I thought that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here, where it's, a, it's an authority that has to come through knowledge. I know my own and my own know me. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by their names. It's respecting their you know, unique uh, particularity and, and celebrating that in each one of the sheep. When I was in college, I was absolutely terrified of having any authority or ever having any authority. And when I became a Christian, my first huge act of faith, I remember it well, was a decision to be a resident advisor, or an RA. And I have no idea where that came from. Nobody told me that. And I, ironically, I had just become a Christian, but I was quoting Nietzsche to myself. who I, I loved Frederick Nietzsche. And apparently he said, whatever doesn't kill you makes you grow stronger. And I kept saying that to myself. Whatever uh, doesn't kill you will make you grow stronger. And so I did this thing. Uh, I became an RA. And it was, it was very, very hard. But over the years, in a lot of ways, uh, my life has been you know, a growth in authority, just in, in scope. So high school teacher, that was terrifying after RA. Basketball coach, uh, pastoral intern, and then a father. A father is, uh, was a very scary kind of authority. A father of one. Then an assistant pastor, and then a father of two, which is a whole different kind of authority. Father of one, father of two. And then a church planter. Um, that was totally new. And then a real pastor. Now I'm a real pastor. I mean, <laughs> not just a church planter, but a true pastor. And every step of the way... Uh, has been um, one frightening adventure after another. But all, all along the way, I feel like God has told me again and again and again, or he's asked me, he's asked me, do you know these people? Do you know the people that you're leading? And whenever I get into that crazy world of objectification, he just keeps reminding me, do you know these people? Do you know them and do they know you? Because that's again what the, she- the good shepherd, he knows them, they know him. I uh, just went crazy after the Super Bowl. I was so excited. And uh, I was looking up all these articles. Because after it was over, like the first three people interviewed gave all the glory and praise to Jesus Christ. And I thought, there's something going on with this team. So I looked at NewJersey.com. And uh, they had an article entitled, How the Eagles Locker Room Went from Chaos Under Chip Kelly to Harmony Under Doug Peterson. 
So the old coach of the Philadelphia Eagles was Chip Kelly. The new coach was Doug Peterson. Chip Kelly, it said, was controlling, standoffish, and autocratic. Quote, he set the agenda, and if you don't follow it, you're dead to him. That sounds like a shepherd from behind, right? Just whipping the sheep. Chip Kelly, never liked Chip Kelly at Oregon, and now I know why. Doug Peterson, the new coach, who turned this around so quickly, it was amazing. Uh, it says he knew his players. That, that was the key. And uh, the wide receiver, Torrey Smith, I mean, none of their players were really stars at all. It was an, it was an amazing thing. Torrey Smith said it, it all comes down to relationships when they asked him why they had gotten so good. It all comes down to relationships. He says there's a lot of believers in here in this locker room. These guys stick together and everyone gets along. And I just thought that is what, that is a true authority. Um, it sometimes looks like chaos to, to lead in that way and to have that kind of authority, but that is, that is what Jesus is talking about. I know my own and my own know me. Verse 14. And then he goes on to say, and this is the amazing part, that the same quality with which I know my own and my own know me, it's the same quality with which the Father knows me and I know the Father. Now just think about that for a second. How well did the Father know the Son? Um, How well did the Son know the Father? I mean, here is what the New Testament would say is the center of the universe. The Father and the Son and the knowledge and love between them, which we call the Holy Spirit. So this is, this is the center of all reality. The, the Father and the Son knowing each other, loving each other, creating the entire universe out of their love. And now here's Jesus saying that I'm going to know my own and my own are going to know me with the same quality of love and knowledge that I have always had with my Father and he has had with me. So that's, that is deep authority when there's that level of intimacy. And that is what really heals That astounding idea of having the same kind of knowledge with Christ as he has with his Father. Think about the person uh, right now who knows you the best. Uh, Maybe maybe they're no longer here, but who knew you the best. The person that knew how you liked your eggs cooked or whether you liked eggs. That's that's one of those things you just don't find out about every person. um, How they like their eggs cooked. And... um, you know, the person who, who knew your favorite celebrity and uh, the, the person who knew how you brushed your teeth, whether you floss or use Listerine or just those little kind of bathroom habits that nobody else would ever know. Um, your go-to snacks, your petty jealousies, your worst nightmares. Think about that person who, who knows you that well and then multiply that by like a thousand. And it's, it's rare to think that Jesus knows those things about us. And, and yet he knows way more than that. He knows things that uh, we would never even tell that person. I mean, there are things we would never tell even that person. And I, I know that's hard, you know, if, if you're married or something like that or have a child that you feel like you, you share everything with. Well, you don't share everything. Nobody does. There's these things that just you never share with any human being. These thoughts you have. The most shameful things you've ever done which are often things you think. Um, you know, every detail of your sexual history, all the people you hate, your greatest insecurities, the worst thoughts you've ever had about your friends, these are things that we feel like, if anyone knew that about me, they could never love me. And yet, Jesus says, 
uh, I want you to know that I, I know you that well, and I still lay down my life for you. I would still lay down my life for you, knowing that about you. Nobody else can know you and love you in that same way. Um, if they saw the true horror of, of who, who you were in your worst moments, uh, and yet still say, I want to die for you. And it's interesting that Jesus says, um, not only did he lay down his life for his sheep, verse 15, but he wanted us to know uh, that no one forced him to do that. That, uh, that no one took it from me. Verse 18, I lay it down of my own accord. And he just wants you to know that so well that you would never think, that you would never believe that, that the true authority, the ultimate authority of all, you would never think that they are some kind of uh, tyrant or a killjoy or a nag or a control freak or a hired hand or Mark Driscoll or Chip Kelly or Stephen Furtick. That, that in fact the ultimate authority is one who made this very painful, ancient decision, very deliberate decision, I am going to lay down my life for that person. And I really believe this. If it was only you that was ever existing and were that bad, he would still do the same thing. I really believe that. Um, this is eternal life, John seventeen three, that they know you, the only true God, and me, who you sent.